When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. Ben, today's topic is one that I have uh, just a tiny little bit of experience with, but not a whole lot. It's kind of um, something that uh, well, I saw it in a friend's car one time. Oh, okay. But uh, I've never owned one of these devices myself. Um, That's weird, because you have such a checkered past. I just assumed <laughs> that you would need to have one of these. No, no, no. I don't have any experience bypassing them either, but uh, we're talking about <laughs> kill switches, and we're talking about kill switches in vehicles in particular because there are other types of kill switches, right? Right, yeah. A kill switch is at its most basic level simply something that will prevent a device, whether that device is a car, a smartphone, a Kindle, what have you, uh, from working, from turning on. Yeah. And it's not to be confused with some of the uh, some of the other stuff that is installed from the factory in cars. Now, mm. I know that there are things that are similar to this. I mean, the, the idea is the same. Right. It's a different execution of the whole thing. So we're talking today mostly about aftermarket kill switches, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and these are these are things that you would simply hide in your vehicle as a security measure. You park your car, you know, wherever you are, and then you reach into the secret nook or cranny and hit the off switch mm-hmm. or step on the switch or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, switch on the uh, on the heater to a certain level and the radio station to a certain station there's there's all kinds of uh, crazy ways to you know um to trip the switch yeah to trip these i guess that's a good way to say it and so i'm not again we're not talking about like the factory installed um like security locks or anything no. yeah like the immobilizer systems mm-hmm. you know where like the rfid systems that use the uh, the, the chip and the key and oh, also yeah. in the ignition and if it doesn't match up, it only runs for a couple seconds, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily what we're talking about. It's, it, we're talking about more like, um, uh, well, what we just described with the, with the switches and, uh, the interrupt systems, whether it's fuel system, whether it's electrical mm-hmm. system, mm-hmm. there's a couple of different types. And another thing that we don't want to confuse these with are, are some of the other anti-theft devices. And, you know, they, they all work together, I guess, in combination if you want. You could, you could use any combination of these. Um, you know, steering wheel locks, like, kind of like the club. You can uh-huh. get for about a hundred bucks or something like that. You could have an aftermarket alarm installed or a factory installed alarm. That's uh, boy, that could be anywhere from a hundred bucks up to about a thousand dollars if you do it mm-hmm. aftermarket. 
Um, or if you add it onto your vehicle, I think is an option. Yeah, another similar thing that people do that's not quite a kill switch would be like a battery disconnect switch, mm-hmm. which uh, some people recommend if you have uh, an electrical short in your car, which we were talking about this earlier, those can be difficult to find. Some people, you know, you're, it's, you can, for less than $50, you can get a battery disconnect switch that you just turn off when you've stopped your car. You know what? I would, I would go so far as to say that that is a kill switch. I think that something, yeah, if you were to leave a, you could, you could run one of those to the cabin of the vehicle. Now I see them in race cars occasionally. They're mounted on the outside for safety personnel to come Mm -hmm. out and, and it's a great big red handle that you can turn with, you know, a lightning bolt on it. Right. These should not be so, uh, (laughs) that visible. That's right. So (laughs) obvious. So right out there because, uh, the idea is to disable the vehicle without allowing a potential car thief to be allowed to grab your car. So you don't want to label it. You don't want to have it right out in the open. Right. But I would say that a kill switch like that, a um, I would call it a kill switch, the battery disconnect. If you if you hide it, I mean, they're not going to be able to start the vehicle if you if you have that um, activated. Right. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's just another way that a kill switch would work. Yeah, I guess okay. so. I mean, because when we talk about it, when we're saying kill switch, I guess what you and I are probably thinking of today. And we'll get on the same page on this, I'm, I'm sure, as we talk about it. <laughs> We're talking about um, either starter or, um, I guess, maybe ignition interrupt yes. is what the basic thing is. Mm-hmm. And Or there's another type, which is uh, it interrupts the, syst- uh, the signal to the ECU, which then can prevent fuel from flowing um, to the engine. So uh, it's it's either electrical or fuel that is shut off with this, uh, with this switch. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is something... Uh, this is something that will primarily, as you said, be associated with theft or the, uh, you know, theft prevention, but not always, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, because people get around the system. And, uh, you know what? I'll tell you, I'm, I've got something here that I want to include near the end that, uh, they call themselves the best anti-theft system on the market right now. And mm. when I say right now, they've got decades of history. So I, I would like to tell you about that as we get to the end of the podcast, but, uh, there's one, that uh, has a, a pretty good track record. Yeah? Yep. All right. Well, we always like to set up something to happen at the end of the show. So let's get into, let's, let's get right into it with some statistics. Are, oh. are you ready? Sure. Okay. Now, I've got some older statistics that are going to set you up for some newer ones that you have. Uh, in 1991, uh, that was the peak of auto theft, right, according yeah. to the FBI. Uh you already know the answer to this, I, so I won't uh, ask you to pretend to guess. 1.66 million vehicles stolen just in the United States. What year was that? 1991? Uh-huh. Uh, we've we've talked about this in the past. I know we have. Yeah. Uh, when we're talking about new car sales, maybe, or something mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. or, or maybe it was uh, Chop Shops or something. It was a Chop Shop episode. Yeah, and I cannot figure out why 1991 was such a big year for car theft. What I mean, was the spike? It It is a huge spike. It's it's way, way out of the ordinary, so I don't know. I mean, I'm, I really have never found one good explanation as to why 91 was the peak year in car theft. Yeah, I don't know either. And I, I looked at this. It is a conundrum, and I think it has to be a perfect storm of a couple different things. But uh, remind me, were these the uh, Honda years? Was this when the Honda was the most commonly stolen car? Likely, but I think that's uh, that's sort of still true. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is, yeah. Uh, and if you want to learn more about why that is 
true and why is it the Honda Civic or the Accord? Uh, right now it's the Accord okay. and the Civic I'm sure is up there. It's always up there. They're so neck and neck. Always. So if you'd like to learn why these, uh, these two vehicles have the dubious distinction of being the, <laughs> the uh, most often stolen car in the U.S., check out our Chop Shop episode. But here's another, here's another thing. A uh, funny thing happened in 2011, reported thefts dropped from 1.66 million in 91 to just over 700,000. Hmm. Okay. So this is, uh, what, 10 years later? 10 years okay. later. Oh no, 20 years later. That's 20 years, right? 91 to 2011. Oh my gosh. 20 years. Can you believe that? We're getting old. Every man. time I hear a number like that, I can't believe it. Like, okay, two, you know, from 1991 mm. was, uh, was, oh my gosh, it was 24 years ago now. Yeah. I, uh, I am still accidentally writing, uh, 13 instead of 15 on checks. 13. Yeah. And I'm writing checks. <laughs> 13 instead of 15. So you're, you're more than a year behind. Ah, oh, yeah, I got oh, it. Oh my uh, God. It's hard to say goodbye to yesterday, it's I guess. Difficult to be you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All yeah. right. So I've got a couple of updated stats if you want to go there because yes. I have the, uh, and, and when I say updated, here's what I mean. These are the most stolen new and used cars in America as of, well, 2013. And uh, the reason we only have 2013 numbers mm-hmm. is because the 2014 number, uh, 2014 numbers haven't been compiled yet. Right. And it will be a significant amount of time before that happens. Because I'll tell you, the, the 2013 stats came from an article in Forbes in around, I think it was August of 2014. So it takes a long, long time for all this to be uh, compiled in one place and then have an accurate number, an accurate mm-hmm. representation of where they came from. So the top five uh, vehicles, I'm just only going to give you the top five because they list the top ten um, as far as um, all model years taken during 2013 and then mm-hmm. also the top ten from new vehicles only from the 2013 model year. So I'll, I'll give you just the top five of from all model years taken during 2013. All right. All right. So the first one is, I'll, I'll tell you the number five. Okay. Number five <laughs> is the Toyota Camry at 14,420. Ouch. This one is uh, not unexpected. The Ford F-150 is at number four with yeah. 26,494, and that's one of the top-selling vehicles. So you know that's right, yeah, there. that makes sense. Uh, the Chevy Silverado, again, not really unexpected. Mm-hmm. 27,809 were stolen in 2013. Wow. And then uh, the two that you mentioned, the Honda Civic comes in at number two at 45,001, and then the Honda Accord is number one at 53,995. So that's a significant amount of vehicles. Again, that's just the top five, right. and that was all model years. Now, if you go to just brand new vehicles. If someone, you know, had just brought this home from the dealership or, you know, mm-hmm. months before or whatever, you know, it's a relatively new vehicle. Um, and I won't list all the numbers here, but mm-hmm. um, the top five are the Chevy Impala, the Toyota Corolla, the Ford F-150, which comes in at number three again, mm-hmm. uh, the Ford Fusion, and then the Nissan Altima was number one in 2013. That I did not see coming. Yeah, I didn't either, but uh, it's a, it's, well, apparently it's a big seller and yeah. there are a lot of them out there. It means that thieves are going to, uh, you know, target that vehicle as well. And that's an important point to make is that you don't have to drive a fancy, flashy, brand new vehicle in order for it to be, you know, picked up by a, a thief. Right. Yeah. There are two big risks that you kind of take on when you are driving a new and very popular vehicle. The first is that thieves who want to be inconspicuous are more likely to steal a car that does not stick out. Yeah, that's true. The second part, maybe the more important part, is that cars that have great sales numbers are going to be cars 
that need component parts. So people who work at a chop shop are much, much more likely to steal an Ultima that they know they can chop into a bunch of components and just send off to unscrupulous mechanics. Yeah, sure. The parts are worth more than the whole. Yeah, case, absolutely. Right? Because uh, because of availability, people want mm-hmm. uh, the parts from that 2013 Nissan Altima, apparently. Mm-hmm. And uh, that car becomes very valuable when it's broken into pieces rather than just sold as one complete piece because they know it's a hot car already. So they're trying to sell it, and they're going to get low dollar amount for that. But for the parts, that's easier to disguise and distribute. Yeah, and you can sell a part without a VIN. Yeah, most most parts. Most parts. Yeah, and they're getting better at that. They're trying to uh, they're trying to improve uh, tracking on stuff like that. So uh, so that's yeah. kind of going away, but not entirely. So how do you avoid, ladies and gentlemen, having your Accord, your Civic, your Silverado, and so on stolen? From the from the parking lot, and you were just gone for twenty minutes. How do you prevent that from happening? The answer might be a kill switch, yeah, and this can be so simple. It can just be an interrupt in the uh, in the ignition circuit. Sure, as long as you hide that switch, as long as you can hide that uh, that little toggle switch or whatever it is. Yeah. You don't don't put it on the dash, and don't write you know uh, kill switch. Yeah, a kill switch or or uh, ignition interrupt or right. fuel shut off or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Don't clearly identify what it is. You can hide it just about anywhere. Write something boring like income tax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A, a switch with a with this labeled income tax. <laughs> uh, look, we're just brainstorming here, but <laughs> you make a great point because you could put this in the trunk. You could put this in the glove box. It, the only limit on this is really how much work you want to put in. Yeah, as long as you're comfortable wiring in your vehicle. Now, it's it's not really even that difficult. I mean, it's just a simple of interrupt, simple matter of interrupting the ignition wiring yeah. and rerouting this the switch somewhere else, so that when the switch is on, then you're able to use the key to start the vehicle. It's as easy as that. It really is. It's so simple. You can do it in you can do it in ten minutes. It could take you an hour. It could take mm-hmm. you a weekend. However complex you want to make this is how difficult it will be. Really, it's, it can be very very simple. And there are lots of online guys out there that will help you to determine where to put these things or, you know, how to, how to position them or how to, uh, how to make them so that you're not going to inadvertently shut it off as you're driving, something like that. Which can happen. And it's dangerous. Even more important, um, and this is, I don't know if you can even get around this. If you're going online to search for the best place to put a kill switch, it means the thieves are going online to look for the best place to put a kill switch as well. So be creative with this. Right. Figure out where is, is somewhere in your vehicle that is relatively inaccessible. That you wouldn't think to look. It's not a common place. It's not just you know right under the dash where you can reach under with your hand and find right. it. Um, again, not on the dash, not anything like that. Mm-hmm. Make it make it a little difficult to find. And and this kind of plays into. Remember, I said I have just very little experience with this. Yes. At the beginning, I had a friend in high school who had a kill switch in his car, and it was kind of a cool thing. Um, and I don't really know why it was there. It was an older vehicle. It was a little bit beat up, you know, kind of rough around the edges. Had a mm-hmm. huge engine in it. It was a fun car to drive. Yeah. Um, so I think it was just an add-on thing. But the kill switch was below the carpet, you know, in, on the floorboards, um, in you know, accessible to the driver. So you'd have to, uh, you know, put your heel onto this thing and press it, and then you know, then the ignition would work. Ah. Okay. And the problem was, after years of using this thing. The uh, the carpet began to, began to uh, become wear, worn out over top of the kill switch, and it became very evident that you had to put your foot right you know, right where it was. So you yeah. didn't you know, if he, he said there was a kill switch in the carpet, you would know right where it is. I guess if you were to jump in and look at it, you might not understand what that worn spot was. But uh, but to me, it, it was stood out like a sore thumb. Yeah, he could cover it with a floorboard or something, maybe. Uh, you mean with a, like a mat? Floor mat, a yeah. Floor mat? Um, you could, I guess. I think the location was odd. It wasn't where it could be covered with a floor oh, mat. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like when the floor mat wears out, 
you know, you could just put a new one down. So it's it really fine. stuck out. It was in the actual carpet of the vehicle. Oh, the, man. Not the, not the add-on floor. Yeah, yeah. Part. Yeah, so, I mean, that's about the only experience I have with it. I never wired one, never did anything other than that, than, than occasionally get in and have to kick that thing to start it if I was driving his car. So. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I've seen them on some of my buddies' older cars growing mm-hmm. up, but these were, you know, these were like the never-ending project cars where yeah. you say, where you the guy clearly says, well... I probably should work on this transmission, but today I'm going to do something fun. Today I'm going to put those stereo speakers in. Oh yeah, it's always yeah, it's yeah. always the speakers. Yeah, it's right? always that. Yeah, exactly right. So the the question then for you as a car owner becomes: is is a kill switch worth my time? I say now, Scott. You and I don't have kill switches in our cars. No, but I would say I would say it's worth it if you are so inclined and you have the time. Yeah, I think so, especially if you have a uh, a vehicle that you I mean, a unique vehicle, a uh, a very expensive vehicle that you know if the if you know someone grabs it and takes it out for a joyride it, it's done for. If it's a vehicle that you can replace, you know, with insurance or whatever, right. you might be less apt to do something like this than if you have a one of a kind vehicle or if you have a a vehicle that's special to you in some way, like let's say it was your father's car or something like that that you've been holding on to and restoring or whatever and you want yeah. you want to make sure that that vehicle doesn't go anywhere without you. Uh, this would this would be a great device to have. Uh, can we can we segue into into something slightly related? Of course we can. To, yeah. Okay. One of the coolest things about kill switch technology, maybe one of the most big brotherish scary things, is that 
people don't have to be in the vehicle physically touching the switch to trip it. Ah, yes. Okay. Now, this is a uh, point of contention with a lot of people that have recently purchased vehicles, mm-hmm. uh, those who may have um, less than perfect credit, maybe. That's sure. maybe a good way to say it. Yeah. A, uh, a, um, someone who has difficulty borrowing money. Mm-hmm. That's probably the best. Let's leave it at that. We'll leave it but, at that. Uh, but so let's say that you don't have the greatest credit score and you go into a dealership and you want to buy a vehicle and they say, well, you got a pretty low credit score or maybe I guess we're willing to take a risk on this because you have had a, a job for a couple of years and, you know, we're, we're seeing the right trend here. Right. We would like to trust you. However, we're going to install this device that uh, that will allow us to shut off the ignition if you fail to make a payment. Right. So if you, for some reason or another, fall behind, then one day you hop in your car and click, 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 nothing. Yeah, it does not start. And this is just uh, it, it, the, the generic term, I guess, for this would be a starter interrupt device. And I think there's some brand names of this thing that, you, you know, can be thrown out there as well. And we'll talk about one in particular in just a little while. But but in just, I guess, the most basic way to say this in the most generic terms is that if necessary, as you said, Ben, they can remotely disable the ignition. And this scares a lot of people because the the idea is that uh, you could be driving down the road and it could shut off. Well, that's mm. not necessarily true. That doesn't happen that way. Now, I know there have been yeah. claims. It just, it, it won't start yeah that's all it is so if it's running it will continue running if it's if it's stopped they can disable it and it could be you know it could be um an anchor right there where it is it's not going anywhere right it's uh, a brick exactly yeah brick that's the way the term i'm looking for but a lot of people have the idea that you know the, the dealer is just going to randomly shut this off when you're on the highway you know cruising at 70 miles an hour or whatever that's mm-hmm. not the way that this thing works it, it just doesn't work that way and i know there's been claims in the past of things like that happening and there have even been some payouts, and we'll talk about one of those in just a minute here. But, um, I, And I don't understand how that happened. I don't understand how, why they got to the point of the payouts. Maybe the technology was such uh, back then that um, you know, that, that, that was possible, but now it is not. It kind of works the way in, um, that a remote starter works. And, and, and you have to follow me on this for just a second because right. there's a lot of safeties in place for something like a remote start system. And I remember that some of them were like if the hood is open on the car – the remote start won't work. Mm-hmm. If the vehicle's not in park, the remote start won't work. If the door's open, the remote start won't work. Exactly right. There's all kinds of uh, parameters that have to be met in order for this thing to work. Now, I know that the newer systems use GPS. They mm-hmm. understand that the vehicle's stationary. There's also a way, you know, th- that they can say, well, this parameter isn't met. You know, the vehicle's in motion. Uh, the vehicle's not in park. The vehicle is... Uh, it's traveling down the road at 70 miles an hour. We can't do it at this point. Right, yeah. Uh, but at the next possible point, I'll alert you, and yes, you can use this system, this interrupt I, okay. system. Okay, I see what you're saying. Now, what's interesting about this is that, as you said, it's very, very controversial thing because there are people who are complaining, and, and if you – you're a Google search away from all sorts of horror stories about this stuff going wrong. People have claimed that their car did stop while it was running mm-hmm. and just bricked on them. Sure. People have claimed that uh, they have been wrongfully bricked, you know, that they're the checks in the mail, for sure. lack of a better phrase, and that they have been uh, temporarily switched off as a reminder, which mm-hmm. is... That's uh, not the way it works, though. I can I can tell you that. that I know, the, I know. I, I I know you know, 
but the uh, but the but the way that the contract is laid out now, I'm not going to say that there's not an unscrupulous dealer out there that has sure, done this sure. for whatever reason. I don't know if it's vindictive reasons or whatever. I'm not going to say that that's even happened once, but there's always that chance, right? There's right, and you always have to be conscious when you hear people's stories about something going wrong in this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You always have to be conscious that there may be part of the story that they're conveniently editing. Sure, but I'm telling you that the devices today, the modern devices are are built with safeties in mind that that allow for uh, certain parameters to be met like mm-hmm. we mentioned before so that none of this really happens you know right. it's not shut off in the middle of the interstate or it's not shut off when you're sitting in traffic or anything like that so um i could tell you about a, a brand name device that is one of these things and it, and it kind of runs steps through uh the codes that happen and the process uh-huh. and the way that the shutdown happens and it'll give you a better idea of or a better understanding of of how this whole thing works so um, the device is called the on-time device, and mm-hmm. it's simple to search. You can find it online. It's called on-time device. Um, I think there's even an ontimedevice.com that will lay it all out for you. The modern device is about costs about $250, okay. and uh, dealers don't install it on every single vehicle. It's just the ones that they're concerned about. These uh, these subprime are these. Uh, I'm sorry, these you know people with credit issues. Sure, right. and you uh the the risky loans and uh these can install on any vehicle. Yes, that's right. And so, you know, it's not just auto dealerships who request this, it's also finance companies, you know, mm-hmm. that um that say, well, we'll allow that loan but install one of these and then we're all set. And then yeah. after the uh, the term of the loan, we remove that device. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. I hope it comes off. And yeah, and in theory, as long as the person is paying their car note on time, They'll never even know this device is there. Oh, exactly right. It should be, uh, should be just working behind the scenes and there shouldn't really any be, really be any kind of issue with this. Now, um, there's actually four pieces of information on the on-time software that have to be programmed ahead of time. And those four things are the first, I'm getting this from ontimedevice.com. Uh-huh. And the first thing that they program in, in is the first payment due date. Then they program in the, uh, the total number of payments. Then the, the payment cycle, which is either weekly, biweekly, monthly, semi-monthly, however they do it. And then also, uh, this is interesting, the number of grace days allowed. Now, the grace days come into play in just a minute here as we do as we talk about it. But um, the on-time software generates a customer's payment schedule and then assigns a unique six-digit code for every scheduled payment date. Now, I know we just said that, you know, this should hopefully operate without them even knowing. Actually, in this on this specific system that I'm talking about right now. It'll tell you. You have to enter the six digit code after you make your payment and it's been re- and it has oh, been received. I see. So it's a monthly thing. If it's okay. not updated monthly, they and they send you the code. So here's what happens. If you don't receive your code, the the LED codes in the in the vehicle that you can see and tells you kind of uh how you stand with your lender. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is the way it goes. Um on the day that the payment is due uh, the LED will, will go from flashing green to flashing red. So um, it'll let you know that the payment is due right away. And uh-huh. all right, so there's this grace period that we talked about, right? When you have three days left in the grace period, whatever period the uh, the dealer determines to be, you know, the the, uh, the period for that, uh, the last three days, the LED begins to flash three times intermittently to alert the customer that they only have three days left to make the payment. So it makes sense, right? Yeah. It's three flashes, three days. Sure. The next day, same thing. Two, t- two flashes because there's two days left. Right? Simple enough to understand, right? On the last day of the grace period, if the customer still hasn't made the payment to the to the uh, to the dealer or whoever the lender, the LED will flash once intermittently, but then will also beep every four seconds. So there's an audible alert with this as well. So you get a visual and an audio. 
audio. Every four seconds, that's got to wear on you. It really does. And that's the point is that you can't ignore this thing, right? So the entire day that, you know, the customer is being, you know, visually and, uh, and through these audible cues, uh, alerted to the fact that mm-hmm. they need to make a payment. And once they do that, you know, they, they call in or however it works out that they it worked out an agreement. Sure. Uh, then the dealer will send the six digit code to the person and they can, you know, push the buttons for the six digit code and, and it resets itself for another full month. If it doesn't happen, uh, the, the next time you shut off the vehicle, it's not going to start again. So let's go to one of the most immediate questions. Do different customers have a different period of grace? Well, I would think so. I mean, I'm not entirely sure, but I would think that people have different grace periods um, based on their credit history. So, you know, somebody who's never had a problem before, they may have a uh, more lenient grace period. Mm-hmm. And somebody who has issues with this type of thing, they may have a, a, a shorter grace period. Now, apparently, uh, it, with this type of system, there's at least a three-day grace period. Okay. Um, I'm sure that that can be programmed in so that – but this – the the LEDs flashing and the, the audible alerts and all that, that comes into play – no matter what, during the last three days of the grace period. So even if it's a week long, mm-hmm. the first four days, you're not going to be bothered with this. The last three days, it's going to be, uh, you know, the, the LEDs flashing, the audible alerts, et cetera. Now, Scott, you and I have read anecdotes where people allege that something went wrong with the device in their vehicle. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily on time, but this sort of device. And we've also seen stuff where people were privacy advocates say that they don't want to be tracked, right? Sure. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon. 
Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My problem with those complaints is that you didn't have to buy this car. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I understand. Like yeah. you, you opted into it. Well, I get it. And you know, there's always going to be the argument that, uh, no, I was in a bad position and I had to buy that car in that particular time frame, and this was the best deal and yeah. what I had to do for my family, et cetera. I get it. I understand all that, but I also think you, I mean, you and I were ones to, uh, typically remain on top of things, you know, as far as like, well, it's due. I'm going to pay it when it's due. I'm not going to get into this grace period. I'm not going to allow the system to even get to the point where it's oh, flashing yeah, its LEDs not. at me. Well, hopefully we wouldn't be in the position where we even have to have one of these installed right, really yeah. to begin with. Hopefully you don't. But if you do, I mean, for whatever reason, I know bad things happen to good people too. So, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that's the case, but, um, you can never rule out any kind of, uh, circumstance. I, I guess every circumstance for every person. Or maybe this could become the new normal. We know that, uh, remote access technology of all sorts is becoming more and more common in every type of vehicle. Sure. So it could be common in the future, you know, by the time, uh, for anybody listening who has, uh, children, let's say under 10 right now, then in six years or so, when your kids drive their first car or they, or you buy a car or something, it, it may just be par for the course for it to have one of these, uh, locks on it that doesn't come off until you paid the car off. Well, think about like GM's OnStar system. Mm -hmm. They have access to vehicles remotely, right? That's true. We know that they can shut down a vehicle, even while it's driving, if they wanted to. We've seen that in action before in police chases. Mm -hmm. So, in in really extreme situations, I know they can they can interact with the vehicle and shut it down. It's possible. We know that that's true. But what if they began to use the now? Because as far as I know, they don't right now. But what if they began to use that system for something like this for for payment enforcement? Oh yeah. So it's already there. If they wanted to, if they really wanted to, they could use this for um, you know enforcing the idea that yeah, your payment has to be made by this date. Or we could, uh, I don't know, with that system, I guess they could even call and say, hey, um, just wanted to see what's going on. Thought you might want to drop by the dealership and uh, maybe write us a little check for uh, whatever it is, $379 uh, for that new Malibu that you're leasing. Uh, uh, if you don't show up in 24 hours, uh, we're going to be forced to uh, you know, interrupt your starter, and uh, then we'll send out the repo truck. Have a great day. Yeah, have a good day, and, uh, <laughs> and we'll see you at the dealership in 15 minutes, because we know you're right next door. So right now, that that remote kill switch is one of the more, I guess, controversial things. But I, I think it makes sense from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. And uh, let us not be mistaken, still the the number one use of a kill switch so far is by car owners themselves to prevent theft. Yes, that's right. That's right. So the uh, so the auto dealership thing is. Uh, is- relatively marginalized at this point. I sure. mean, they, they do it, and we understand that it's it's done. We hear about it in the news occasionally, but for the most part, the kill switch is something that, you know, you go to Radio Shack and you buy one, and you put it in your vehicle, or Pet Boys, or wherever, you know, the local auto parts store is in your town that, uh, you know, sells the kill switch. And, and again, just be clever about how you hide these things. Be clever about where you put them, and mm-hmm. uh, and don't make it too obvious. It's just, it's it's not worth it. I mean, it's, it makes it so easy to bypass. Right. Don't make it obvious. And, oh, Scott, I, uh, I almost forgot before we move on, 
you've got a pretty good specific anecdote about one of these dealership kill switches, right? I, I do, and there's a, a few extra little things thrown in here for people that uh, that are outside of this area uh, that, that may not know this person. All right. So all those qualifiers in place, let me go here with this. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> back in the 1960s and early 1970s, there was a guy, his name is Mel Farr, and Mel Farr played in the NFL. He was a, uh, I think he was a running back for the Detroit Lions. He played his whole career, his whole NFL career with the Detroit Lions from, I think it was from 1967 until about 1973. Mm-hmm. And Mel Farr, when he retired after he played in 1973, he went on to own Ford car dealerships in Detroit, in the Detroit area. It was around 1975 when he opened up his first one. It was called Mel Farr Ford, and it was in Oak Park, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And by 1998, he had amassed something like it was close to six hundred million dollars in this business. Wow. So it's a giant business, right? Yeah. Very, very popular in the area at least. And you know, because he's right there near Detroit selling Ford automobiles is going to be a big popular dealership. That's right? a good point. All right. So in, in fact in the United States it was like the thirty third largest auto dealership in the United States at the time. So this is a big deal, right? Yeah. Well he has um he had at some point some some significant legal problems because uh he had this controversial system, which turns out was the on-time device that I just talked about, mm-hmm. um, installed. And this is, remember, this is back in maybe like the late 80s, early 1990s, maybe. Um, he installed these these one-time, or, sorry, on-time devices, which prevented the drivers of these leased vehicles from starting if they missed a payment. So <laughs> after all this is going on, you know, there's there's a lot of news about this, how people are saying the like, system's malfunctioning, just as we sure, talked about. Yeah. It was shutting off on them when they're driving. and. Yeah. and I, I can't say with any certainty that that didn't happen. I mean, I, I, I know that it's possible, I guess. And especially thinking back to then, you know, what the technology is like back then compared to now. I see what you're saying, but that doesn't make it probable. It only mm-hmm. makes it possible. I understand. But he had so many complaints about this happening that the vehicle's in motion and also others that said they were not late with their payments when, you know, when it was shut off. That I can believe. It became a major, major problem. So in June of 2000, mm-hmm. so uh, the FAR... Um, dealership or the far name because he's already retired at this point. He doesn't even have the dealerships at this point. They're paying out. Um, or wait, no, I'm sorry. I think he did have his dealership at that point. So he he ran it just for slightly longer than this. But okay, he had to pay out to each of his 1,500 customers that had this device installed 200 dollars each for the trouble. Whoa. Yeah. So there's actually a, a payout. You know that was uh, ordered by the courts. For him to pay out, uh, you know, this two hundred dollars to each of the fifteen hundred a class action people. lawsuit. Yeah, exactly right. And you know, one little quick side note on this whole yeah. thing: if you want to see who this guy was and and some of these crazy commercials that he had, because um, in the article about him, it says that he kind of gained pop star status almost because of his commercials. And he would dress up in like a superhero outfit with a cape, <laughs> and he would do this. Uh, you know what green screen is? He, yeah, would, yeah. he would fly around uh, Detroit on these green screens. <laughs> And it was the most hilarious thing, and it would always invariably end with him landing in his dealership in front of a car, you know, like jumping onto the screen. Yeah. And then talking really fast about some great deal on, you know, an early 80s uh, Thunderbird or something like that. It was so funny. And uh, they're they're just exceptionally poorly made. I mean, at the time, (laughs) I I think they were even corny for the time, and that was in the early 80s. So if you get a chance, just look up, you know, it's Mel Farr, and Farr is spelled with two R's, uh, but Mel Farr Ford, and you'll see some of these just... Uh, I don't know, like a car dealership gold commercials. It's I mean, amazing. Car dealer. We should do something about dealership commercials one day. I don't know if that would be a real uh, a full episode, but there's a nuts and bolts in there because 
one of my favorite things growing up was to watch car dealership commercials because mm-hmm. you never know. There's gonna, there's always gonna be some crazy guy. I love the local commercials. Yeah, Those are yeah, the best, right. And that's exactly what this was. It was a local commercial, but uh, with with a name that was recognized nationally. And you know, people that would join him from the Detroit Lions of the day, you know, like so Billy Sims would be on there. Oh yeah, or, cameos. Yeah, they'd have, he would have cameos with all his uh, his NFL buddies and stuff. And they were so poorly acted, and it was you know that <laughs> that green screen where you know you can see the edges of them are kind of glowing. Right. Yeah. As he's in front of it, it's just it was hilarious stuff, and some of it was animated. It was just mm-hmm. uh, it was really good. It was funny. So bad commercials. Speaking of things that are really good, it's time for us to move on to one of the biggest questions that you're probably asking yourself right now, and that is Scott, Ben. Okay, you've converted me. Kill switches. I get it. But which kill switch is the best? Ah, you know what? I've been digging into this because, you know, some, I mean, it seems like every single one of these can be defeated, right? Even the factory systems. Right. There's, there's a way to get around it if you're in the know. There is. And, you know, there's a, there's a big differentiation to make here between kind of like the amateur thief and then the pro thief. Right. And the pro thieves can get around just about anything. They can, they can hack, um, the factory systems as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And they have a huge, um, incentive to do that, to be able to, to hack a factory system because, Think about it. If you can, if you can break into one system for, let's say, a brand new BMW or a brand new Mercedes or whatever it happens to be, uh-huh. if you can do that for one vehicle, then you know that you can get into just about any vehicle that BMW makes or any vehicle that Mercedes makes, and, right. and, and that is a huge benefit for them, right? So, there's one system out there that I found that has kept the criminals guessing for a long. Long time. This is the one I hinted at at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> right. And here's their track record, Ben. Just before we talk about this, and we're not selling this by any means, uh, but it will sound like a commercial because it's a great system, I, I tell you. <laughs> um, it's a place out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, and this is, uh, if you want to go to their home page, it's called neverhotwired.com. And the device is the Revelco anti-theft device. And the Revelco device, uh, which I'll describe in just a minute, yeah. has a 39-year track record of never having a vehicle stolen based on hacking their system. It has, uh, the, over the 38, almost 40 years now, they have 4 million installs. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So since 1976, they've been doing this, and not one vehicle has been stolen um, by bypassing their system. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so now that so we got what that, is it? It, it's a, it's, it's, it's relatively simple. I mean, it, it sounds simple, but it's not. It's also complex. It's a, it's a plug that's installed. It interrupts the ignition circuit and it is a 16 prong plug, I guess, or I don't know how to say this. Maybe, uh, there's, there's a uh, receiving side yeah. and then there's also like the male side, which you carry on your keychain. And the male side has 16 pins and that is, Unique for every single vehicle. There's no, uh, there's no duplicates. Or you know what? There are probably are duplicates, but who would ever know, right? Right. So what this is is it's it's an it's a dual circuit engine disabler, and that's how they describe it. And they say that it's a 16 pin dongle style plug, uh, which means you carry the uh, the male side on on your keychain. It's very small. Right. It's just this plug. It's like almost like a um like a a soda pop cap or something like okay. that that you yeah. carry on your about on your uh, yeah about that size. And then the uh, the other side is built into your vehicle, right? You know, right near the dashboard. And you know, we said you got to hide these things, right? Mm-hmm. It you know it seems like someone could easily just jumper this thing, and it would be a piece of cake. Well, with sixteen pins, and and I'll describe this in just a minute why it's nearly impossible. Um, it's it's almost impossible. There are thousands of combinations 
that could be done here. So if you're trying to jumper this thing, you know, between the pins to make it work, which is all it really needs. Yeah. Um, it's nearly impossible for them to do. In fact, no one has beat it yet. And I'll tell you a little bit about this thing, I guess. Um, it, it, the way that's worked is it, it's a device that's wired into your car's electrical system. And it has to be done by a professional. You know, you can't really do it yourself. So it's not like something you could buy a kit for and have it work. There's no remote control at all, just that plug, like we mentioned, that kind of acts like a key, I would guess. I mean, because when you get in the vehicle, you plug this thing in, mm-hmm. then you turn the ignition, then it works. Right. Without the plug, I mean, so if the plug is not in place, if you forget it or if you lose it or whatever, this thing won't work. And a lot of people might say, well, that's a, that's a problem, but... Really, if you don't have the key, the car's not going to work either. So if you can remember to keep the two together, your key and the, the dongle or whatever, um, maybe that's the safest way of all. Well, people also, you can order extra plugs. Yeah. So if you have more than one driver of a vehicle. Yeah, sure. Right. Um, and this this is actually pretty popular with uh, commercial vehicles too, right? Oh, exactly right. And I'll tell you why this thing is so impossible to bypass. It's because um, the, the wires are, first of all, the wires are encased in armored steel cables. That's one thing that's not happening in most kill switches because in most, uh, you know, the, the wire's interrupted, it's clipped or whatever, and then rerouted somewhere nearby, you know, like maybe two feet away. It's so simple for a uh, thief to get under there with a flashlight and look and see the colored pair wires that go between the ignition and the kill switch and just simply wire them back together and then the car starts. It's a piece yeah. of cake, right? So all of the wires on the system are black. There's zero color coding that happens with the system. So you've got 16 pins, all of the wires to it coming to and from it are black. So there's not really a way to know and the odds of you lucking out are hilarious. Well, small. Yeah, exactly right. Like we said, there's thousands of combinations and yeah. the, the idea is that with thousands of combinations, if the, the thieves do try to, uh, to try to jumper this, this, uh, the system, you know, between the pins, uh, chances are they're going to get it wrong the first time. And when they do, they're going to short something out and then likely, you know, if you short something in the ignition, it's likely that the vehicle's not going to run at all. So, um, you know, the car's stuck there anyway. So it would right. work in a second way, really. And, and it just goes to tell you that you know, this is a really safe system if, if in 39 years they haven't been defeated yet. Well, no, there are some asterisks on that. They say no properly installed uh, Revelco system has ever been stolen. Oh, I wonder what that means, though. I mean, properly installed because I mean, there, there, it's been done by professionals. You can't buy a kit, like I said, and install it yourself, right? Right. It has to be done by by a tech. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be done by a tech. So it seems to me, it seems to me that the only person that would know that would be a tech that installs it. No one else ah, would know. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I don't think that it's possible. I don't even think the owner would really know how to bypass that system. Oh, and most insurance companies also give you a break. On your rates, oh. if you install one, not which, bad. You know, uh, some some places do that with any sort of anti theft device. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, this is not a commercial. This is just the one we found that looked like it had the best track record. Definitely. And I will say that you can go to uh, Revelco.com. That's with one L to check out more about this system. And uh, just want to read the first part of the history segment here. All right. The Revelco anti-theft device was first sold in Houston, Texas on July 20th, 1976 by Vincent Revel. Earlier that year, Revel drove his brand new 1976 Lincoln Mark IV, which he could not afford, back home to Cranston, Rhode Island to show his father how well he was doing in the drag racing business. Oh, man. I think that's a great beginning for his story. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Uh, the Lincoln was stolen. Spoiler alert. Oh, no kidding. And that's probably the uh, the, the birth of this device, right? Wow, yeah, interesting. Huh. All right. So, man, this is interesting. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, 
that is one that you can have installed. I don't know the cost on the uh, on the Revelco switch or anything like that, but um, it, it's clearly safe. It's clearly tested yeah. over decades, right? But it's that's not to discount the ones that you can go to, uh, you know, like I said, Pep Boys or AutoZone or wherever sure. to pick up and install. If you do the install, you do it somewhere that's, you know, um, discreet, somewhere that's out of the way. Inconspicuous. Yeah, there's a very good chance that whoever jumps in your car to try to, you know, quickly go for a joyride or whatever yeah. is not going to uh, not going to have a chance at, at getting your car started because most car thieves I read somewhere, and I want to say, and I'm going to just ballpark this because I okay. remember reading it, but I don't have it written down. It's something like, you know, three out of four car thefts are done by just people that, you know, are looking for a quick buck. You know, they're going to either use that car in another crime. They're joyriding. You know, they're just taking it out for whatever reason, taking a part off of it, something like sure. that. It's not a planned crime. No, the pro thieves are responsible for, you know, like maybe 25% of the of the car thefts that mm-hmm. happen. And they do multiple cars in a night. Oh, they do. Yeah, they, they really go for it. So... Uh, those are the ones that, you know, a simple kill switch like the one you'd find at Pep Boys is not going to do it. You're going to need, you know, more something like the uh, the Revelco device um, or something even more dramatic, you know, something that you have to get under the hood to activate or, um, you know, there, there's lots of variation on this. I mean, that, that uh, you can go extreme or you can go mild with it. And I guess somewhere in between would probably be the safest. Yeah, there's a Goldilocks zone there. Uh, we are going to go ahead and head out today. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast as much as we enjoyed making it. And we do hope that you will write to us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are Car Stuff HSW, to let us know about your experience with kill switches. Are they overrated? Are they underrated? Uh, should everybody have one? And what do you think about dealerships? giving out kill switches to people with less than stellar credit. I am really interested in this because, you know, it hits the news occasionally here, and uh, there's always this debate over whether it's an ethical thing to do or not. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that, and I want to hear your viewpoints on it. I'm interested in it as well, especially because I have a pretty strong opinion about this one, Scott. Mm-hmm. You don't own the car yet. You know what I mean? I understand. Ah, well, we'll see what we'll see what everybody else says out there. So if you want to contact us directly and you don't care for the social media, then go ahead and send us an email. We are carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) 
You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.